you got that in front of you, let's open in prayer. Lord, as we have expressed to you how glorious you are, how wonderful it is to know, Lord, that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us, that you do show us uh, amazing expressions of grace again and again and again. Thank you, Father, even for the grace of being able to gather with other believers and to hear and hear the Word of God read, to have opportunities to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, and to also have opportunity to hear, have the Word of God expounded, and for us to think about the things of God, to think what you're trying to say to us, and opportunities for us to express to you our love and our appreciation and our thanks. So, Father, for the blessings of knowing that we're able to be here today, we ask that your Spirit would take this time, help us not to make this into a rote routine, but Lord, help us to make this a time in which you encounter, we encounter you, the living God, through your word, and that you indeed draw our hearts toward Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. One of the strategies of Satan is that he, speak, he seeks as our spiritual adversary to deceive us. And the types of deception is he loves to convince us, for example, that wrong is right and right is wrong. And another one of his forms of deception is that he tries to get us to believe the scheme that we can handle life on our own. And we being individuals who like to think that we have lots of freedom and we can handle uh, so many things and we have a sense of independence, we love that kind of uh, Western thinking independent spirit. Many of us think, you know, I don't need any help. I can handle things in, in my life well enough, thank you very much. And many of us have been duped into thinking that we can, because many of us have rarely ever pray and that we rarely ever seek God's help, we have totally forgotten that we have so many spiritual vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And most of us will admit, yes, we know in our minds that prayer is important. We can make that affirmation. We understand, biblically speaking, that's something that's taught in Scripture. But because of our busyness and because of this propensity we have to, of, of moving towards self-sufficiency, we never seem to get around to it. And without realizing it, we end up no longer, as he says here in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 13, we no longer take up the full armor of God. We're no longer able to stand and resist in the evil day and to stand firm. We are duped into thinking that we are standing in battle when actually, spiritually speaking, we're in a state in which we are slipping into spiritual slumber, taking a nap, dozing off, taking it easy. In my previous sermon on this topic two weeks ago, I tried to examine several insights into this verse 18, which was our focus then, it is our focus this morning. I'd like us to read it. Uh, notice this verse again, 618, having talking about the issue of putting on the full armor of God, he concludes that section with these words, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now I'd like to consider two more principles from this text. Again, these are added to the ones that we covered 
uh, previous week. You could listen to it if you weren't here online. Let's consider, first of all, the idea that we're called to persistently pray. Persistently pray. Every soldier who is assigned to sentry duty knows how hard it is to stay alert. They know how hard it is to resist the urge to take a nap in the middle of the night when they're supposed to be on guard, on watch. And in those quiet hours past midnight, if you just begin to relax a little bit, if you begin to become rather comfortable, at least for me, in those hours of the night, forget about it. It's disastrous. I'm gone. And a soldier on duty is required to be in a state of alertness. And in the spiritual realm, every believer is to fight off this tendency towards spiritual, what we call slothfulness, or, or spiritual uh, um, uh, slumbering, where we're just sort of halfway taking a nap, and every believer is, who is not spiritual alert for spiritual battle is a prayerless believer. A believer who, for whatever reason, is not really devoted to prayer, its prayer is maybe an occasional thing, maybe once a week or occasional time here and there, it's really not something that characterizes one's life. I would say we want to be careful thinking that that person may, may indeed be somewhat spiritual slumbering. So this call to spiritual alertness is repeated throughout Scripture. I want to just take you over to Colossians 4, verse 2, a couple pages to the right, 1402. Colossians chapter 4. Here's an example of another call to spiritual alertness. Colossians 4.2, page 14.02. He says, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. I don't have time to fully explain this text, but if you look at the context of these words, it's quite insightful. Because if you think of it as a sandwich, here's the, here is the middle part, the call to be devoted to prayer. If you look on either side of this particular admonition, what do we find? Well, sandwiched between there is you see two areas of potential spiritual battle that you're going to be facing in life. On the one hand, we face the tremendous uh, conflictual, conflictual areas of which verses 318 to 4 verse 1 of the use of human authority, the use or the submission to authority in those contexts of life, whether it be the husband or the wife, whether it's the parent or the child, whether it's the employer or the employee, those kind of tensions in our marriages, in our families, and in our workplace are potentials for tremendous spiritual battle. How am I going to use my authority or how am I going to respond to authority that God brings into my life? So he says, be devoted to prayer. You're going to struggle in those areas. But he also says in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 4, he follows that admonition to always be devoted to prayer with this understanding that we all are involved and have opportunities and privileges of sharing Christ with other people, evangelistic opportunities and efforts to live out the gospel, to share the gospel with other people and the unsaved people around us. Let me tell you, do you ever sense a need for prayer in that area? Certainly we do. We have all kinds of people who are challenging us and, re and resisting us and making fun of us and whatever. And so the struggle in these areas is why Paul is saying, you've got to be devoted to prayer. You're engaged in spiritual challenge and conflict here. 
Now, being spiritually alert to our spiritual vulnerabilities and our spiritual weaknesses, I think, will help us be motivated to pray more and more. That when we neglect to pray and we try to stand in battle on our own, in our own strength, not too surprising, after a while, you know, you get a little weary. You're like, oh, this is so difficult. I can't deal with this. We give in to our flesh. And the likelihood of our failing and of being filled with doubt and succumbing to all sorts of temptations that we run into in any given day or week, well, it seems to me increase if we're in a state of spiritual slumbering rather than in a state of prayer, devoted to prayer day in and day out. And as I've been thinking about it, Jesus, I thought, tried to prepare his disciples for this tendency in our need to keep at this idea of praying with a parable, and I'll have time to fully expound it, but Luke 18, you might want to make note of it. Luke 18, read it some other time, but Jesus urges his disciples to keep on praying and not give up. Some of us may have begun a period of time when we were praying and seeking the Lord earnestly, and there's come a time in our life where we've sort of said, well, I've, I've stopped asking about that. I don't, I don't pray about that anymore. Jesus knew his followers were going to suffer injustice, and he knew and he, and he predicted that they were in a spiritual battle against the forces of wickedness. He knew there was going to be affliction. He knew there was going to be hardship that they were going to face. And so he tells this parable about persisting in prayer. And how does he do it? Well, he drives the point home about there's a widow who goes and she's looking for a judge to give her a render a decision of justice and deal with a situation that's unjust that she's having to face. And she keeps knocking on his door. She just keeps going over there. An old, a widow knocking on the door of this judge. A judge that not, does not follow the, the constraints of any kind of Judaism or any kind of respect for God's laws. He's just a Gentile judge. And in telling that story, he's driving home the point of comparing his followers to, to us like a widow. In what way are we like this widow? Well, most people in that time would have known and associated that a widow was a person who was un, one of the most unlikely people to ever receive fair judgment from a judge. Why would that be? Because they knew at that time in the first century that a widow has very, has very little resources. She was extremely poor. She was at the lowest end of that socioeconomic strata. And therefore, she was unable to give and bring with her a bribe to get the judge to, to, to see her point of view and give her what she's asking for. But widowhood, as a, as a poor person, noticed that it wasn't her influence by bringing money, it was her persistence. She kept knocking on the door. And the man goes, man, you're wearing me out here. Here, yes, I'll give the decision. Now, what do we say to that? Be careful that you don't draw the wrong conclusion and say, well, God must be like that judge. He doesn't want to give a decision. No, no. The comparison is not that point at all. The comparison is from, if this is true, on a point of a widow knocking on the door, persisting, gets an unjust judge to give her what she's asking for and render justice eventually, how much more? How much more will the people of God who come and are petitioning the gracious, compassionate, just judge, how much more will he respond to them as they continue to seek him and continue to knock and continue to ask 
Therefore, it's an incentive to keep at prayer, reminding ourselves that prayer is not something that is a routine. It is designed to be something that causes us to realize that God desires us to keep on asking Him and to rely upon Him. Well, that raises a question in my mind. Why then is it such a long wait sometimes for the answers to prayer? Why is it that God doesn't answer prayer more promptly? Why does it take so much knocking sometimes? Well, first of all, I want to say, well, I could also ask the question, why doesn't God make spiritual warfare easier for us? That's sort of the other question. First thing I want to say, of course, some mysteries are known unto God, so I cannot give a full explanation to that. I'm not God, so I can't necessarily give full insight into that. But I think it's fair to say that God uses prayer as a divine tool to change us, to work in us, and to help us learn to trust Him more and more. If we always received every request we made of God as soon as we made it, which is like the Allstate commercial, right? You've seen? Uh, State Farm is there, or whatever it is. And uh, State, State, State Farm, State Farm, not Allstate. They, they, they say this, and boom, all of a sudden something shows up, you know? And, and the idea is if that was the way God worked, we just say something and boom, it happens, then what happens to that? then God is reduced to the level of a vending machine. If I just do this, assert in this, punch the button, boom, here it comes. There's no need for faith. It becomes that which is routine. So persisting in prayer is, in a sense, can be compared to a schoolroom. Where we're, where, where a schoolroom of faith, where we learn to know God, where we learn to work out the muscle of faith. You say, well, what? My faith is so weak. Yes, that's why God has you continuing to pray about matters, is because it strengthens your faith. You're reminded of who you need in your life as you seek Him again and again. I recently obtained a book that I had given away to somebody years ago. I'd loaned it to them, and uh, they're no longer here, and so I lost it, um, but that's okay. It's a good investment. So I bought it again, another copy. It's, it's called uh, Beside Still Waters, Words of Comfort for the Soul, and it's the writings of Charles Spurgeon, uh, shortened into one little page of meditations, and it speaks to the issues of those who suffer, those who are having challenges, those who are having problems, and it's taken right out of his sermons and put into modern English so you can read it. Excellent, excellent words of encouragement every day. Here's what he says about the idea of waiting, waiting for God as we pray. He said, God's usual rule is to make us pray before he gives us the blessing." And he makes us fervently knock at mercy's gate. And the reason we're knocking, he says, is to get a great blessing at the end. And when we plead with God and we have not realized success, we become more earnest and more intent and our hunger increases. If we obtain the blessing when we first asked, we would not have a sense of mercy's value. Standing outside mercy's gate, we grow more passionately earnest in our pleading. First we ask, then we seek, and finally we plead with cries and tears and a broken heart. And then listen to this. He says, if the ships of prayer do not speedily return, it is because they are heavily loaded with blessings. 
When prayer is not immediately answered, it will be all the sweeter when the answer arrives. Prayer, like fruit, is ripened by hanging longer on the tree. What great analogies for us. What great helpful insights Spurgeon gives, reminding us that persisting in prayer is, in a sense, continually drawing near to God and looking for His boundless resources of His love, His mercy, His power, His grace. We're looking to Him, we're looking to Him, we're looking to Him. I wonder if some of you here today and you are facing a lingering, ongoing trial that just keeps going and keeps going. Maybe it's getting worse as time goes on. Doesn't show any signs of letting up. What's the word that God's saying to us today? Keep praying. Keep praying. Are you struggling with a besetting sin? A sin in which you fall again and again and you're saying, oh, there's no hope for me. What's the text of Scripture saying? Persevere in prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking for help. Are your unsaved co-workers wearing you out because of their mocking jokes and they poke fun at your commitment to Christ? Keep praying. Keep praying. Are you deeply troubled about maybe a son or a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, another relative of yours that has turned their back on all that they were taught? when they were given the words of Scripture as a child. Keep praying. Keep praying. Are you waiting for God to bring about a change that's not yet occurred? Keep praying. Continue to beseech your benevolent Father in heaven. He wants us to grow in faith. He wants us to grow in patient endurance. And He wants us to to know Him more deeply through prayer. And it forces us into the Scriptures to say, God, I'm hanging on to something here. I've got to hang on to your promises, which helps me to keep praying. And often the lessons we learn as we continue knocking and seeking and asking are the areas that God wants to strengthen and improve to make us better soldiers for Christ. I wonder, have you grown weary in praying? Are you worn out? And sort of saying, well, I just want to sit on the sidelines. I'm I'm tired of battle. May I encourage you to remember that your Savior bore your sins on the cross, that He was raised from the dead, so that all who believe on Him can come boldly, can come unashamedly to the throne of grace, that you might find the help that you need day in and day out. And you don't come here as a person, you don't come to the throne of grace saying, I deserve it. You come as a person who has already received grace through Christ. He's paid for your sins. He said, come on in. You have access to God's throne of grace. That's what you're going to find. And I would suggest to you that those of us who forego the privilege of drawing near to God, which was made possible through Christ and His atoning sacrifice on the cross, we are far more susceptible to temptation and the schemes of the devil than those who do. All right, that's point number one. Let's move on. Point number two. He says in the text here, not only are we to, verse 18, be alert with all perseverance, but secondly, he urges us to be in petitioning for all the saints. So an easy way to say that, of course, is to pray for all believers. Pray for all believers. Here's another area which Satan, I think, intends to deceive us as believers. He wants us to think that our needs and our struggles 
and our concerns and our needs are more important than everything else in the world. Right? If I got a problem, then the whole world has a problem. That's sometimes the way we feel, sometimes the way we think. And when we are when we tend to pray primarily for our own needs and for our own concerns. Isn't that true? I mean, what little we do of prayer, it primarily is about our own concerns, our own needs, our own struggles. I know that's true in my life. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he gave them a model prayer. And in this prayer, he did not say, my Father, who is in heaven, he said what? Our Father. There's a sense in which we're not to just think of ourselves as alone in this area of spiritual battle, but we don't fight on a battlefield alone. Paul reminds us here in Ephesians, earlier in the book, chapter 4, he spoke the issue that we are a part of this unity that the Spirit of God is joining other believers together. We are one family, one army, one group, one body, as it were, that's been joined together in Christ. And so we share a common bond, the saving grace of Christ. And that saving grace is designed to try to help us realize that we have other concerns beyond our own and expand our hearts to realize there are people in the body of Christ who also have concerns. And we want to expand our understanding and awareness of those. I've never been in the military. I'm thankful that I was never drafted to do such. But one of the things I'm told that the military tries to do is they take these recruits who come in as independent uh, confident uh, individuals, and they try to impress upon them a sense of cohesion, a sense of camaraderie with the people in their unit, so that they realize that if something happens to me, it happens to all of us. Now, that can be negative where they say, if one guy doesn't do something right, everybody gets down, they do the sit-ups, everybody goes down, you do the push-ups, right? They make everybody penalized for the fault of somebody. But if someone is doing something well, then we all share in that, all that good that's being done as well. They try to develop the idea of realizing that what happens to one affects them all. So that when they're in a battle situation, if somebody is in desperate need, they're all going to respond and work together rather than work against each other as independent people. Well, we are fellow soldiers of Jesus Christ. We have a common allegiance to our commander-in-chief, Jesus. And therefore, we are called to bear each other's burdens. We must resist the temptation to focus our prayers exclusively on ourselves. We're to pray for all the saints. Now, we're not to say, notice the carefully, he doesn't say pray to the saints. As some who think that we need to pray to people who are dead, that's not what he's talking about. The word saint here means what? One set apart, it means other believers. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about praying to dead people in heaven. We pray to Christ. We pray to God through Jesus Christ. And so he says we're praying for other believers. And so he exemplifies this principle with himself as an example. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, listen, I'm not only going to encourage you to pray for all the saints, I'm going to put myself forward and say, I need prayer. And so I'm asking you to pray for me as I pray for you. And so he says, pray for me that the utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He said, I'm in jail, I'm limited in what I can do, but pray for me. I have opportunities here, I want to use them when they arise. Isn't it amazing that Paul, of all people, acknowledged his need for prayer? 
and he saw the need for other people to pray for him and him to pray for them. Here's Paul, one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, one of the most privileged people who ever lived because he was able to have a vision in third heaven, it says. He couldn't even talk about it. It was such an incredible privilege and, and experience. And here he is asking that he would receive help from God. I need prayer, he said, because I am struggling with what? I need to have clarity. I need to have courage. Here's the guy that didn't get, un, he, he was fearless, it seemed at times, to be able to speak when the riots were taking place. He's asking for prayer. I'm sure all of us need prayer from other believers to courageously stand for truth. I know I need it. Paul saw his need for it. Do you ever ask someone to pray for you and do you ever pray for them? Is that part of your regular practice as a believer, a fellow soldier of Jesus Christ? Because all of us are swimming against the tide of tolerance. We're swimming against the tide of political correctness and relativism in our day. And to take a stand, it's not easy. It's not easy. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1373. I want you to see an example here of how this plays out for Paul and the power and the effects of other people's prayers for him. You see, Paul didn't accomplish everything he accomplished as a person who was out there on his own. He was truly depending upon the prayers of so many others. I don't have time to read the whole text, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is responding to a tremendous amount of opposition by false apostles who have besmirched his reputation. They have discredited him as best they could. They've alleged that he has a motive of ministry only to improve his own life and to somehow enrich himself on the backs of these people. And so he admits in verse 8 that he had suffered so bad, he had had so many afflictions and burdened so excessively to the point where he thought he was going to die. You thought you had problems. Paul says, I had a problem and I didn't think I was going to make it. Verse 8. And then if you skip down to verse 11, he then goes on to admit that God delivered him and then listen to what he thanks these Corinthian believers for. Verse 11. You Corinthians also joined in helping us through your what? Through your prayers. The reason we didn't give in, the reason we didn't give up, the reason we didn't say, I'm finished, I can't handle this anymore, is because your prayers helped us to keep going. I love that text. One of the reasons Paul and Timothy did not quit in despair is because he knew the Corinthian believers were praying for them. And I'm convinced that the value and benefit of praying with and for another believer cannot fully be measured. I have been privileged to be on the receiving end of so many prayers, even today from my brother Dave, but I'm on, a, on an ongoing basis people say, I'm praying for you. You will never know what that means to me, how that keeps me going. And if you've not received anyone praying for you, you need to ask someone to pray for you. Because there is something powerful. If you actually hear someone lifting you up in prayer, it is a powerful ministry of grace into your life to sense that you are not alone. It's drawing, it's almost as if they're taking you by the hand and say, come with me, we're going to go right to the throne room of God. And I want you to hear what God, he's going to, he's, you're not alone here, God's going to help you, God's going to minister to you, you're, you're going to be able to make it through this. Years ago I read a 
biography of William Carey. He is the father of what we call modern missions, which means that in the late 1700s, early 1800s, Carey uh, felt led of God to go against what was commonly thought at his time as if, you know, God will somehow bring the gospel to people somehow miraculously. But he said, no, we've got to take the gospel to people. We've got to learn their languages. We've got to teach them what the Bible says and, and take uh, the gospel of Christ to the whole world. And so he, before he leaves to go minister in India and Burma, he says to them, <clears throat> listen, he says, I'm going to take my five best friends, my Christian uh, uh, men who stand with me and been praying together about this whole endeavor. He says, I, I want to, we have to have come an understanding between us before I leave. He reminded these men, he says, I'm going off to a faraway land. I compare it to bringing, as I bring the gospel to these people, who have no Christian witness. He says, I think of it as if I'm going to a deep mine and I'm entering into that deep mine where no one has ever explored before. And he says, I have no one to guide me. And so then he says this, if I'm going to go down into that cave, that is, I'm going to go to this faraway place and proclaim Christ, he says, then the people, you five guys, you've got to let, down, let me down with that rope and you've got to hold on to that rope as you let me down in that cave. What's he saying? He says, I'm counting on you five men to be intercessors, to be people who pray for me earnestly, persistently, because I desperately need that prayer. And that's what he said will help me engage in spiritual battle. It is Paul who commended Epaphras in Colossians 4, verse 12. As a member of the church there in Colossae, in which he said this, Epaphras always labors earnestly for the members of his church in his prayers. He's praying for other people. I just want to encourage you to incorporate prayer for other people into your private times of prayer and in your corporate times. As a family, pray for other people. Each Sunday we list in your bulletin two of our ministry partners right there as an insert, along with a number of other people there, people you could pray for, members of our church, leadership people in our church, uh, people who are asked to specifically be on a, a prayer list because they're struggling, they have some ongoing concerns and needs. Using that as a means of just in, increasing your awareness of praying and interceding for other people. It's like holding on to the rope, making sure that they are not out there on their own. Praying that they would not become discouraged. Praying that people would not succumb to the, the schemes of the devil. That in their struggles and in, their, in their, their difficulties, they will not begin to get discouraged and turn away from the Lord, but they'll draw closer to him, get into the word and fight using the word of God. Don't let go of the rope. Don't leave people to fend for themselves. Let us do our part to stand the gap, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Now, before I conclude, hear me out carefully right here. I am very much aware that what I have tried to lay out before you in expounding this text in Ephesians 6, we easily conclude to ourselves, boy, do I feel guilty. What a failure. I don't pray. I've tried for years. I don't do a very good job at it. If that's where you're going, my friend, I'm aware that Satan could take this message and use it like a battering ram in his attempt to make you feel accused and guilty and ashamed and a failure. Don't hear that message this morning. 
That's not what this message is all about. I want you to listen to something very important here. Satan would love to magnify your failures to pray as a reason to accuse you and a reason to make you, again, feel like you should just give up, stand on the sidelines, don't battle anymore. But listen to this wonderful, wonderfully liberating gospel assurance in Luke 22. If you got your Bible, just turn there just for a second. Luke 22, just a couple of verses. Stay with me here. I taught on this the other night in our Bible study on Wednesday night. A great text. Verse 31, 22, 31 of Luke. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. He wants to know what you're made out of. Are you the real thing or are you just a fake and phony? But I, Jesus says, have prayed for you. That means all of you. That's a plural you, not just Simon, but all of the disciples. He speaks to Simon first and then to all of them. I have prayed for all of you that your faith may not fail. And you... Peter, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What's the point? My friend, we who fail, we who don't understand the seriousness of the battles out among us, we who become so self-confident, we like Peter, we can fall into this spiritual slumbering. But my friend, listen to this. Even though you fail, Jesus continues to pray for you. He never fails in his prayers. He ever lives to make intercession for his saints, Hebrew says. And I want you to be encouraged to know that he, as one who prays, is always saying, I want you to keep knowing that you'll find grace, you'll continually find mercy, you'll continually find my love to strengthen you, uphold you, and help you. And therefore, keep coming to me. And He's praying that you won't stop praying because in prayer, you'll find the sweetness of knowing Christ loves you and Christ welcomes you because he's made provision for you. He purchased you with his own blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you are a blessing to us and that you call us to yourself. You make it possible, Lord, for sinners, self-righteous, self-sufficient sinners, Lord, we thank you that you make provision for us to have access before you, to come to you, to, to know you, to, to find help from you, Lord. We thank you that we can come to you because Jesus has broken down the walls that hindered us from that access. And so, Father, I pray that you, the gospel might help us today not to be filled with guilt when it comes to prayer, but the gospel would help us realize what a blessing prayer is, what a privilege what a joy it is to be able to talk to you, to share our concerns, our thoughts, our, our, our burdens, and the burdens of others, and to minister to them. So, Father, I pray that this time around your table, we might be encouraged to know that you are ever living to make intercession for your saints. And help us, Father, to even now spend this time interceding and communing with you as we gather around the Lord's table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.